had a conversation with Eric before we made the transition over here, and I was sitting in my car in the parking lot of our church, and uh, it was really cool just to see how the Lord answered some big questions for me, and I don't cry often, but I started to shed tears after I talked to Eric on the phone, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here, appreciate the opportunity to open God's word with you this morning. going to invite us just to pray again. Uh, Lord Jesus, what a privilege to be with you, with your people in your place, about your kingdom and your work. Father, would you quiet not just the atmosphere of this room, but the stirring in our hearts and our minds of all that is going on around us, all that we brought with us, that we might hear you and know you. We pray this, Jesus, for your glory in your name. Amen. Appreciate Psalm 77 that Eric read for us. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. It's the crossing of the Red Sea. God was leading his people on his mission to the place that he wanted to give them. But the path that he was leading them on led them through the mighty waters. At that point, some of us are like, you know what, God? I actually have my own plan for my life. I have my own pathway that I want to walk. It's a bit different, Lord, than the path that you want me on, but I've kind of designed this for me. It's a pathway that I control. I'm going to ask you from time to time, Lord, to sprinkle a little bit of favor and a little bit of your power and your goodness on my pathway, but for the most part, will you just kind of leave me alone? It'll be a life where even though we might settle a bit, where we might find ourselves enslaved a bit, it will be a life that will ultimately be about me. When Eric started this sermon series at the beginning of the year, he said something that is actually incredibly shocking. And contrary to everything that the world around us pushes in on our lives, we are not the main character of the story. Now, nobody actually fell out of their chair. I was here, but the idea is completely foreign to the world that we live in. What do you mean I'm not the main character of the story? Well, God is. So what does that mean for us? What does it mean that there is a creator God and out of his genius and power all things were created and by his control all things hold together and by his might all of human history moves where he is leading it? Where does that leave us? Where does that leave you? Where does that leave me? If it is true that there is the one true living God of the Bible and that he alone is God, then I can't possibly be in charge of my own life because he is. Now, in order to get around this reality, people, sometimes people in the church, work pretty hard to try to eliminate God as much as they possibly can. Now, in case you didn't know this, we can't actually eliminate God. But people try. 
We try to strip him of his power. We try to argue against the Bible. We find reasons to point our finger at the church. And we blame the church for something. The church, by the way, is us. But we point our finger at the church to try to push the church aside, to try to push Christians aside so that we can try to push God aside. All in an effort to remain the kings and queens of our own deal so that we control the narrative, so that we control the objectives. We define the wins. And if we can eliminate any sense of the presence of God in our lives, then we can mostly live like the main character of the story is me. Along comes the enemy, Satan, who wants to convince us that somehow this path that we define is the win, that this is actually the path that we want to walk, the autonomous path designed by me and for me. Or, or we kind of love that up a little bit and we make it the path designed by me for me and my family, for me and those that I like, for me and those who are like me. We've become contented people trapped in places of enslavement, far from God, thinking that this is the best shot we have at a good life. And so we stay put and we strive to refuse anything that would come along and disrupt or jeopardize our semi-comfortable existence. Pastor Eric asked me if I would preach in our series on the crossing of the Red Sea. It's probably a familiar story to most of you. God has called his people to leave Egypt. And if you go back and read all of the context of this story, usually when you see Egypt in this context, you're going to see the words, the land of slavery. The writer reminds us of that over and over, the place where the Israelites were slave labor for Pharaoh. But at least they had food to eat. And they had the Egyptian army protecting them. And they were sheltered underneath the most powerful nation in the world. And they had a very predictable life to live. Stuck in slavery to the whims and the desires of an evil man. But at least they were fairly comfortable. Exodus 13 is where we start this morning in God's word. Verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go... God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. If it gets tough, I know those people, they're probably going to look backward and want to go back into the land of slavery. So God, because he loved them, right? Do you see that? Not because he wants to hurt them. Because he loves them, leads them a different way. They're going to the Red Sea. And so the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Jumping down to verse 21. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. God knew the hearts of these men and women. He knew that if the path that he laid out for them led them into trouble, they're going to long to go back into their lives in Egypt. I'm going to ask the guys to throw up 
a quick graphic for us just to give you a, a picture of the geography of where we're at in the world. Don't get too caught up on all the rest of the noise on this screen. I just want you to see where we are and recognize that to the north, the way of the Philistines up there, there were some east-west trade routes that would have been fairly well-worn roads that would have been easy to walk on or ride on. But they would have had all sorts of armed garrisons along the way and all sorts of checkpoint type situations where the Israelites would have a tough go. So God said, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to go a different way. We're going to go a way that nobody's anticipating. We're going to avoid all of that and head down toward the Red Sea. And I'm going to invite the Israelites to go down there simply with the promise of my presence with them. So the people come to the Red Sea. The mighty Egyptian army is trailing them. Pharaoh is upset with the decision that he made to release the Israelites. Eric told us a week or two ago, we got about a million people in this journey currently standing on dry ground, right? This ground looks like the kind of place I want to stand. They're facing the Red Sea in front of them that they can't swim across. They've got the most powerful army in the world breathing down their necks. And we come to 14 verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us up out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Story reminds me of a young man that I walked with for about 20 years. He spent the majority of that time incarcerated in various places. After spending about nine years locked up in a prison facility somewhere in the central part of Illinois, because they don't put these folks near home, I drove over to pick him up. We're riding home, we're in the cornfields on the interstate, and he starts to get all fidgety on me. I'm like Eric, I'm a well-built guy, I could take care of myself if I have to, but he was a little bit bigger than me. Before long, Jeff is laying in the back seat of my car. So what are you doing? Kurt, for nine years, I haven't seen anything move faster than somebody walking or running. And all of the traffic on the interstate was like messing with his head. Says, all right, we're going we're gonna <clears> to <throat> try to grab some lunch. Let's pull in this subway in the middle of the cornfields, grab some lunch. Jeff, you got to come in and order. No, Kurt, order for me. I don't want to go in there. Hey, they got a lot of choices. You got to come inside and order because I don't know what to order for you. So he comes inside and we're standing in line in the middle of nowhere, right? He's, he doesn't know anybody. I don't know anybody. The whole time he's doing this. And it started to dawn on me. I'm asking Jeff to live in the free world when all he knows is how to be confined, trapped. So we get up to the counter. I never knew ordering at Subway could be so hard. He was overwhelmed with the choices in front of him. For over nine years, Jeff had never had to make a choice, let alone 30 choices about his sandwich. And I didn't realize that I was inviting him out of his world, that even though he was enslaved, if you will, confined, he was comfortable. 
And I was saying, hey, dude, there's a great place out here in the free world. You can come. You could go to Subway. I like Subway a little bit. But you go there, and I'm like, my sandwich is this big when I'm done because I order a bunch of stuff. Jeff, it'll be awesome. You'll love it. Kurt, I just, I like go back. I want to go back to that place where I was comfortable. I had my routine. I had three meals a day. I had a bed to sleep, and I never had to worry about that. He didn't know how to be free. He didn't know how to live in the world that God had actually created him to live in. It makes me think of the Israelites leaving Egypt. They were designed for so much more than just making bricks for an evil man. So here they are, and I ask the question, what are the Israelites, a million of them, doing on dry ground, staring at the Red Sea? How did they get here? And they're asking, weren't we at least okay in Egypt? Well, friends, you're here because God brought you here. You're here because the one who made you for himself told you I've got a different life for you to live. Not a life of slavery, but a life in the promised land. A with God life. A life with me. On mission with me. A life where the people of Israel will become God's treasured possessions. As we go through the Old Testament, you're going to see these words over and over. God was calling them and said, of all the nations on the planet, I've seen them all. I'm calling you out to be my treasured possession. They will be the ones who will experience blessing from God. If you're familiar with the covenants of the Old Testament, Israelites are going to receive Abrahamic blessings right here, right now. They will be the ones who will have the place, the temple, where God will dwell among his people. They will be the ones from whom will come the one who will crush the head of the serpent from Genesis 3, who will bring the blessing to all nations from the promise to Abraham, who will sit on the throne of David forever that was promised to King David. God has so much more for his people than simply eking out a mildly comfortable existence. But the path is going to be through the mighty waters. Dear friends, we're pretty comfortable people. Pretty comfortable over there in Clark Meadows. It's a nice neighborhood. It's quiet. I got everything I need. And the Lord says, hey, I'm calling you into a place that I have designed you for. The path may not be the easiest, But I'm calling you into deeper intimacy and experience of power and the eternal pleasures of relationship with God. But they had to leave Egypt in order to pursue this life that they were created for. They had to leave Egypt on the back of the Passover lamb. God was going to provide the way. But the people in their humanity, maybe like us, are scared, timid. They're worried about their comfort. They were consumers of life demanding that their simple desires be met. This journey, this facing off with the Egyptian army, this facing the Red Sea, it all disrupted their routine, their pattern, their shallow comfort. And so Moses stands up in front of them, and he's quite the leader at this point. He answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see Again, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. 
Eagle Church, my family is new here, but we are not new to your story. Matter of fact, I have been a part of following your story since the day you began. This is not the first time that God has called you to cross the Red Sea. This is not the first time that God has looked at you as a people and said, hey, we're coming out of where you've been and we're going to where I'm leading you. I'm not new to our Alliance family. I assure you this is not the first time that God is calling our Alliance family to leave something behind and head off with him into the place we were designed to be. This is not the first time my family has had the one who calls us to leave out of the places of comfort and even slavery to chase off into the life that he has designed for us. Now I want to assure you, sometimes his call on our lives is to leave something that is not necessarily sinful or evil. It may be even something that we would call good. He called my family to leave 22 years of relationship with people we deeply love. To leave a place where our comfort level was off the charts. To leave a familiar place with a familiar routine. He calls us to leave and follow him. Is that easy? No. Ever? Not yet. Not for me. Is it comfortable? No. Do you get all the answers? Let's go back and listen to several of the last few weeks that Eric has preached. Does God do it all the way you want him to do it? I think I need to ask that one again. Does God do it all the way you want him to do it? Because God, if I'm going to go, here's the deal. It's got to be this, 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 and this. It wasn't this, 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 or this. Is the journey hard and scary and full of massive obstacles? Sure it is. Israel didn't fully know what they were walking into in the promised land. All they could do was trust the one who called them to leave Egypt and promise them, I'll be with you. And just so you know I'm with you, there's going to be a big cloud and a big pillar of fire and you're going to see those everywhere you go. And you'll know I'm present. Trust and follow. Friends, some Christians try to do this out of a religious or moralistic motivation. It looks kind of like this. I will do what God says so that I can get from God what I want to get from God. If that's you, then I'm pretty sure that leaving Egypt and crossing the Red Sea in your life is not going to make a lick of sense. You won't see the value in it. You won't go. Because we obey to get things from God. Others, hopefully us in this room and us who are listening online, obey and follow God to get him. Why are we leaving Egypt? Because I'm on the with God thing. And God said to go and there's God's presence and I'm with him. So here we go. We follow him so that we're with him. Wherever we're called, whatever we're called to do, his presence is the point throughout the story. Now, the people argue, but we seemed okay in Egypt. We could have stayed there. Why didn't you just leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? And if you and I are the center of the story, and it's all about us, then that's a really good question. 
If life is all about what I want and what I think and what I plan, then it seems really crazy that here I am standing with a powerful Egyptian army on one side and the Red Sea on the other side. Help me understand this, Moses. What are we doing out here? What on earth is going on? Now, I quietly wonder if any of the people ever stopped to say, what's on the other side of the Red Sea? Because if they had pressed that question a little bit more, they might have been a little bit more excited to head over there. Moses answers them, y'all need to see the Lord. You need to see his power. You need to know what it is to come be still in his presence and know that he is God. And God is saying throughout the story, I brought you out here to show you something I couldn't show you in Egypt. And I love this. I hang on this truth all the time. I needed to bring you here to show you some things I couldn't show you when you were over there. I need to show you myself and my power. So the question is, will the people follow? Remember Moriah where Abraham had to offer up his only son Isaac on the altar. God was checking his heart. As Eric said, when so much becomes too much, it's up, Moriah, you go. Here God is checking the heart of the entire nation as a collective people. The west side of the Red Sea represented the life the people chose. The east side was where God chose for the people to go. The west side of the Red Sea is where the people live for themselves. The east side is where the people will be God's people in God's promised land with God's presence, being witnesses of God's to the nation and bringing about the people of God out of whom will come the Savior of God to defeat the enemy of God for the glory of God. How on earth can we be people who say, no, I just want to go back to slavery? When we have invitations like this. And if God can get the people across, and if God can deal with the Egyptian army that is following them, then God beyond a shadow of a doubt proves that the story is all about him. And we should follow. Sometime when you're bored, I invite you to Google the Red Sea story. And you will see numerous articles that you can read trying to explain the Red Sea crossing in scientific terms. Why? Uh, maybe it was the Reed Sea and not the Red Sea. Turns out we're not really sure what the Reed Sea is or where it is. But it might have been easier to cross. Maybe it was a strong wind that caused the water to pile up on one side. Except the passage says the water piled up on both sides. Maybe there was a drought and it was really shallow at this time and they could just walk across. Maybe it's just a metaphor and it didn't actually even happen. I'm fascinated by how hard people try to explain away the existence of God and the miraculous power of God. Now those articles make no sense when you read on in the passage and you realize that God used the waters piled up as a means of destroying the entire Egyptian army so that not one of them survived. I don't think that happened in six inches of water. I don't think that happened at a narrow crossing, right? Because all I got to do is watch two or three chariots to go in there and get wiped out before I'm like, whoa, I don't think I'm coming in there. No, 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 no. It's a massive place in the middle of the sea. 
And the army all goes in there collectively and they all get wiped out collectively. But if I'm going to maintain that I'm the center of the story and God of my own life, then I have to explain away the existence and power and presence of the one true living God of the Bible. And Satan wins. Because at best, I'll make a mediocre mess of my life. The life that he gave me to live. God who designed me for himself. I will strive for some comfort in the midst of my flesh's slavery to the consumerism of this world. I will spend my days chasing pleasure and avoiding pain. And all the while, the one who created me for himself will be inviting me to cease striving. Psalm 46.10 Many of you know that as be still. Cease striving and know that he's God. That the God who designed you, who loves you, who created you for his good and pleasing purposes, calls you to come to himself so that you can enjoy his presence and chill out a bit on all the scrambling and frantic activity that we get into trying to shape this life. I needed to hear those words from the Lord. Cease striving and know that I'm God. And let me be Lord of your life. And let me help you to live the life that I designed you to live. And we're going to have to cross the sea to get there. I want to share a quote with you in a minute. I, I imagine Eric has already shared this quote with you. Eric's like this walking catalog of all the best quotes on the planet, isn't he? He's also an incredible storyteller. That part I've known for 20 years. What I didn't realize is Eric is an incredible creator of stories, meaning his life just seems to spin these things out. Like who actually can come up with a sermon illustration after they hang a light over the kitchen table? <laughs> I need to have a little moment with Eric. Eric, it's called an owner's manual. It walks you through the instructions. It tells you where all the parts go. C.S. Lewis. He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And today we learn that a holiday at the sea, it comes with some challenges, some risk, some sacrifice, some stepping out and then being still. But do you know that God often does his best work when you and I are not comfortable? When we are not satisfied with mud pies? When the American dream is not that valued in our hearts and minds? When safety and security, when health and happiness are not the ultimate aim of our lives? But instead it is to know the one who dwelt in the cloud, who showed up in the pillar of fire? Then the Lord said to Moses in verse 15, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. It's time to go. 
Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, this is one of the most incredible scenes in scripture, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Eagle Mount Moriah was about the heart of one man as an individual getting things right with the Lord. The Red Sea is about a people together, leading, leaving the place of comfort and heading off together to follow our God into the promised land into the place where he will be our God and we will be his people and he will dwell among us. Eagle, we're leaving Egypt. We're leaving Egypt. What's on the other side of the Red Sea? I don't know. But I know the one who is leading us across and whose footprints we may not see but whose presence we know. And I know that we get to go together. And I hope that matters to you. It's time for us to refuse the daily grind of life for ourselves where we gather up moments of pleasure while we wait to die and instead we chase after the one who has invited us into life with him for his glory. At times terrifying, at times confusing, at times cloudy and dark and dreary, at times lonely and even painful and I appreciate the transparency of our pastor. He shared all of those things with us in the weeks preceding this. At times it's all of that. But you know what? All those things were true in Egypt as well, right? All that was already there. The invitation of our God is to say, hey, come here. Come follow me. Live in my presence. Go where I go and do what I do. So what's stopping us from saying yes to the Lord? From crossing over to where we are designed to go, where we are created to be from fully committing our paths to Christ, from laying down our lives for him, from saying yes to the invitations of our king to spend our time and our money and our energy on things that build his kingdom and not our own. Does Satan have you convinced that life in Egypt is better than life with Jesus? Filling your minds with ways to push God into the dark corners. Now, full transparency. If you haven't read on in the Bible, you may not know that when the Israelites actually get to the promised land, they're going to find that it's full of people and idols and wilderness and battles and enemies and war and all sorts of other things that will make the reality of daily dependence on God their daily truth. But they're also going to find that they're smack in the middle of what God called them to do, what God created them to be, and the work that God created them to engage in. So let's wrap this up, verse 31. And when the Israelites, this is after they've crossed over, the Egyptian army followed and got wiped out in its entirety. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him 
and then Moses, his servant. I love it. They come out on the other side. Their enemy is gone, and they get the prize. The presence of the Father, Yahweh, Emmanuel, God with us forever. The with God life. Simple question. Are you in? Are you ready to cross the sea, even if you can't see God's exact footprints? Ready to go with him wherever that leads? I've never been a part of a church where I wasn't somehow either a kid or in a leadership role. And it's been interesting to sit and observe and watch and all of that. And I'm a, a person who likes to think through things as I sit there. And I want to share this, a new guy, right? I'm a new guy to the table, to the, to the family. I believe exciting things are coming for Eagle Church. I believe God is stirring things in the hearts and minds of his people. I believe there is a, a diehard remnant of God's people that COVID has done some sifting on. But there's a remnant of God's people who are eager to say, if he's going across the sea, we're going across the sea. I don't know what that looks like. But we get the opportunity to fear the Lord and trust him. And here, God put Moses in the place of leading the people across. Eric, I appreciate your leadership. Eagle family, I look forward to walking together as we cross the sea, as we go where the Lord leads us, and he turns this place loose in incredible kingdom ways to influence the ends of the earth and to influence Clark Meadows and all the places where you live. Are you in? Lord Jesus, we want to hear your voice calling us out of whatever our Egypt might look like, whether it's truly a place of enslavement or it's just a place that we became comfortable in and a place that you said, your time there is finished. It's time to move on. It's time to do something else that I have prepared for you to do. We want to hear your voice. We want to see your mighty hand work so we can stare into your face and realize that the one who calls us is faithful and you will do it. Father, would you show us as a church family what it is to cross the Red Sea? What it is to head into the promised land where you will be our God and we will be your people and you will dwell among us. Help us to see where Satan trips us up, where he's lying to us, where he's trying to convince us that we don't want to go, that we'd be better off staying in the place where we're making bricks. And that by your power and your might, by your invitation, may we count it a privilege to know that our God is the one whose path often leads through the mighty waters. And though we can't see your footprints, Oh, we know your presence. We kind of privileged to go with you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We're ready to go.
Christ's name, amen.